Wow, what a way to kick off what we're going to be discussing in this podcast today. Hi, I'm I'm Karen. And I'm Karen. And today we are going to be discussing one of the most famous musicals on Broadway today, Hamilton, which follows the life of Alexander Hamilton. Today we're going to be talking about what this musical uh, gets right and where there are some historical discrepancies. Right now I'm going to kick it over to Kara to explain a little bit more about what we're doing. Thank you very much. So Alexander Hamilton was born in the British West Indies on January 11th in 1757. He had a rough childhood, being virtually an orphan by the time he was 12. In 1772, a disastrous hurricane hit the island of St. Croix, where Alexander was working as a clerk. After the hurricane, Alexander wrote a letter to his father that was soon published in the Royal Danish American Gazette. That very letter caught the attention of a group of island businessmen, who pooled their money together and sent Alexander to King's College in North America, now known as Columbia. After attending school, Hamilton joined the Continental Army to fight in the Revolutionary War. When that war ended, Hamilton rose as a powerful political figure. Although his life was plagued with controversy and scandal, Alexander Hamilton played a crucial role in setting up the United States and forming a strong political structure. The extraordinary life of Alexander Hamilton is detailed in the Broadway musical Hamilton, written by actor and writer Lin-Manuel Miranda. In today's podcast, John and I will be investigating five different songs from Hamilton and contrasting them with the true history of these events. Yeah, we will. Yeah, Hamilton sounds like a pretty cool guy Ooh. from that. Uh, yeah, the first song we're going to talk about today is the one you actually just heard in the intro. Uh, it's called Alexander Hamilton, and it is the first song uh, that is played in the actual musical. Uh, Kara, do you want to go first with what the musical actually got right yeah, in the song? Yeah, i So the first song, as Sean just said, is called Alexander Hamilton, which is kind of coincidental because, I mean, the entire show is called Hamilton. So this song goes through explaining his early childhood years and how he was able to come to America. So I'm going to play the first 18 seconds for you right now. So that was about the first 18 seconds of that song. So Alexander's mother was Rachel Fawcett Levine, the daughter of a French physician, and Alexander Hamilton's father was James Hamilton, a Scottish trader. So when Alexander was born, his mother was actually already married to another man, John Michael Levine, who was a merchant. And so after his mother was being accused of adultery, she moved out to live with James Hamilton, Hamilton's father. So in 1765, Hamilton's father abandoned him and his mother and his mother's other son. But a few years later, Alexander Hamilton's mother died in 1768. So these two events left Hamilton virtually an orphan, as expressed in the very first line of the song where it says he was an orphan. So next, the song claims him as the son of a whore and a Scotsman, which is in fact historically accurate. I mean, calling his mother a whore may have been slightly more exaggerated than necessary, but in the 1760s, a woman who had a man's baby that wasn't her husband would be very frowned upon. 
and probably cast out. And his father was also indeed a Scottish merchant, as the song specifically says. And now we'll move it over to Sean, who has a few historical discrepancies in the song. Yeah, there are a couple of things in the song. First off, probably one of the most famous lines of this entire song. And he wrote his first refrain, a testament to his pain. Um, History wasn't one giant rap battle, despite what Lin-Manuel might think. Uh, I saw a really funny speech from the Obamas uh, when he was exiting office. The cast of Hamilton performed there. And uh, him and Michelle talked about how they hosted a poetry slam. And Lynn said he envisioned all of U.S. history as one giant rap battle. So, yeah, I kind of think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. History wasn't one giant rap battle between Hamilton and Aaron Burr. But um, now to more of the specifics about how the song is a little historically inaccurate. The song talks about how he himself worked his way up to New York, but that's not entirely true. His aunts had the biggest role in sending him to New York. They were very poor, but they took, they worked a lot, and they saved a lot of money to get there, to get Alexander there. And um, when it says he was, he was trading sugar cane and rum and all the things he can't afford, he really only clerked in a general store. He wasn't the major merchant at age 12, as the song describes him as. That's very exaggerated. He also left college after two years, and contrary to popular belief, he studied mathematics. He didn't study law, he didn't study history, he didn't study English, he studied mathematics, which um, we see in the future, his financials, which he's probably perhaps the best known for, but a, a lot of this musical is premised on his writing was like the center of his life, which it proves on to be, but that first start in New York wasn't where he gained his writing abilities. Um... One other small point where there's a little historical discrepancy is at the end when it says, uh, we fought with him. Uh, the people who say that line, Washington, Lafayette, and Hercules Mulligan, um, Washington didn't particularly fight with Hamilton. Um, in general, Hamilton really didn't fight at all. He was uh, George Washington's aide-de-camp. He wasn't really a fighter. He was an administrative genius, but he wasn't really on the front lines. We can uh, see continuity with this um, impact he had in the Washington administration uh, through uh, Washington's farewell address. He wrote a good chunk of that, and he wrote the entirety of Washington's last annual message to Congress. So um, in that song, there are a couple areas where we see the history actually sliding in the theatrical entertainment that the musical is meant to be uh, coming through. So um, I think with that, we're ready to jump over to our next song, The Ten Dual Commandments. Yeah, I'm ready. So, The Ten Dual Commandments, this song details the ideal terms for a proper and respectful duel. So in the late 18th century or so, and the early 19th century, dueling was a probably a really popular way to establish honor and hash out random political debates. So this particular duel was between John Lawrence and Charles Lee. So although Burr wasn't actually in the song, the song details Hamilton as John Lawrence's second. So in the song, Hamilton sings, Hang on, how many, die, how many men died because Lee was inexperienced and ruinous? So that's the main cause of this duel. Charles Lee's actions during the Battle of Monmouth raised concerns and controversy among George Washington and his allies. Washington then placed Lee under arrest for his actions, and Lee was left awaiting a trial. When Lee's trial commenced, he was found guilty and punished by being removed from active service for a year. Very frustrated with that, Lee sent tons of accusatory letters to Washington. 
But as an ally of Washington, Lieutenant Colonel John Lawrence challenged Lee to a duel. In the end, the duel was put down peacefully, with Lee barely grazed on his side and Lawrence completely unharmed. You have any good discrepancies, Sean? Yeah, this one actually might sound a little funny, but the song title is The Ten Duel Commandments. And as I learned from a very, very cool resource I saw from PBS, there are actually 25 codes of a duel. That was one of the most interesting resources that I ever looked at, the codes of a duel. I didn't really know that that was something historians studied and wrote papers on, but apparently there is. So first and foremost, there's more than 10 dual commandments. Um, to kind of jump on these commandments, they um, in the song, they speak of negotiations after the duel has already begun, but duels aren't necessarily a negotiation. As I learned from the 25 codes of a duel from PBS, both parties have the ability to, op- uh, to apologize and admit dishonor prior to the duel. But the chances for apology all occur before the duel occur, before the duel actually happens and before the duel is attended. Once the parties meet for a duel, odds are somebody will die and violence will be the solution. Uh, that was the major discrepancy I found with that one. And I just thought that was one of the coolest resources I ever saw. It was just really fun to read through the 25 codes of a duel that I didn't even know existed. Oh, wow. Duels must have been pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, with- yeah, pretty history is pretty crazy if you didn't know already. So with that, are you are you ready to right, move on to our third song? Yeah, let's jump on to nonstop. Perfect. Okay, so the next song is called Nonstop. So this song explains Hamilton's life after the Revolutionary War and describes how he was helping to set up the country with a proper legal system and government system. So after the Articles of Confederation absolutely failed to run the nation. Some of Alexander Hamilton's ideas were used in writing a new document, the U.S. Constitution. So Hamilton was a very dedicated Federalist, so he strongly believed in the Constitution and that it should be ratified. So as a way to convince the people to ratify the Constitution, because a lot of people were against the Federalists or didn't believe in the same causes, Hamilton joined with James Madison and John Jay and wrote 85 essays known as the Federalist Papers. So there's the little clip that I'm going to play here. It's about 20 seconds. So this is a part in the song where Aaron Burr sings all about Hamilton's endeavors. James Madison and John Jay to write a series of essays commending the new United States Constitution entitled The Federalist Papers. The plan was to write a total of 25 essays that were divided evenly among the three men. In the end, in the span of six months. John Jay got sick after writing five. James Madison wrote 29. Hamilton wrote the other 51. So that little clip right there was directly from the song. So Burr's, Burr's words that he just said are in fact extremely historically accurate, seeing as there are currently 85 Federalist Papers that can be read today. You can find them on multiple government websites. Some of them are cited in my bibliography. And so the three men, they all wrote under the alias Publius to keep their identity hidden and to be more convincing to the people because they were kind of controversy <laughs> among their names in the government system so people would be more likely to listen to them over or them underneath some other false name than them actually speaking as themselves yeah so um when i listen to the song and i listen to it quite a few times because 
the song is very, very historically accurate. There are very few things to find. I found, I found one small discrepancy. But if I was a history teacher and I wanted to use a song to teach my class a little bit about this period of history, this would be a great general outline because most of what's sung in it is pretty accurate, except for the fact that um, the conversations between Burr and Hamilton, there's no like solid proof that they actually happened. But the historical content of like, like you said, the Federalist Papers mm-hmm. and um, Hamilton's writings and fighting for the Constitution and um, them being rivals right when they were admitted to the bar are all very historically accurate. Although I did find a minor discrepancy in dates between when Hamilton and Burr began their law careers and when the first murder trial was, which was kind of how the musical portrayed this um, rivalry being sparked. Although Hamilton and Burr were admitted into the New York bar in 1782, in the first formally recorded murder trial, The People versus Levi Weeks, which the song speaks of, uh, wasn't until 1800. So this Hamilton-Burr rivalry in the law world was definitely brewing before the first uh, murder trial, which the song makes it seem like was really the inciting incident. But other than that, this was a very good song. It's one of my favorites in the musical. It combines things from all different kinds of songs. But um, yeah, it was very historically accurate, except for that. I thought you beat on this one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So our next song that we're going to jump over to is my personal favorite from the entire show, Guns and Ships. How does a ragtag volunteer army in need of a shower somehow defeat a global superpower? How do we emerge victorious from the quagmire leave the battlefield waving guns and bosses Wow, so this song is appropriately named Guns and Ships. So this song explains how the colonists won the Revolutionary War by explaining a huge role that France played, specifically by highlighting the French general, Marquise de Lafayette. So Lafayette was a French-born military officer who played a huge role in ending the war. So in this song, Lafayette sings, I come back with more guns and ships, and so the balance shifts. This line sort of alludes to France supplying the colonies with even more weapons and guns to fight on land, but also the ships necessary to attack the British in the sea. Because during the Revolutionary War, the British were a huge naval power because they had the means to make ships and to make advanced ships and provide for them. And so also when he says, um, and so the balance shifts, this directly relates to how the odds gradually turned in the colonists' favor after the French joined the war. So the colonists would not have won the war without French intervention. And even a few lines later, Lafayette sings, We can end this war at Yorktown, cut them off at sea. So Lafayette was present during the siege of Yorktown, and later the Battle of Yorktown, which was the end of the Revolutionary War, when British General Cornwallis surrendered. And with that surrender came full American independence. Yeah, so you see some great historical facts coming through in there. Um, there are a couple of historical discrepancies I found in here. Most of them are fun facts about Lafayette. But um, first, I want to address one of the first lines that we actually heard in the clip I played. Um, I'm not so sure I'd consider a Great Britain a quagmire in the sense that the song described it. Like, how do we emerge victorious over this quagmire? Um, it was a cool attempt at using a seemingly royal slash older term 
but there was some flaw in the execution of that. Quagmire is defined as a soft, miry land that shakes or yields under the foot or a predicament. Neither of those work in the sense that it was used in the song. Britain was definitely not weak. Uh, and they definitely, well, they were in a predicament when America launched war, but that's not necessarily the connotation I got from it. The Royal Army was stacked when we were looking at the beginning of the war. They had over 80,000 troops compared to America's 20,000. America's soldiers were inexperienced. Britain had a more powerful navy and, navy and army. They had more arms, more ships, more ammo. And we didn't have the financials or production capabilities. So like Kara said, it was around this point in the musical where it, or in history as well, where it started to tip uh, into America's favor. But the use of calling Britain a quagmire at the beginning of the song, I don't think fits quite right in history, in historical contexts. Now, we're going to talk about some Marie Joseph Paul Yves Rock Gilbert de Motier de Lafayette also known as Marquis de Lafayette. Fun fact of the day, that was his full name that I just read. Um, and another fun fact about him is he wasn't as much of a powerhouse as the musical makes him seem before the war. Um, they say, everyone give it up for America's favorite fighting Frenchman, Lafayette. Um, but when we look at him in context of when he joined the American Revolution, he was only 19 years old. He had no combat experience. He was shot in the Battle of Brandywine, which was his first battle that he uh, fought in. And all honestly, it was what he did during the American Revolution that made him such a big powerhouse in the French Revolution. He wasn't a giant name before coming to America, although he was instrumental into victory in the war. Like the song talks about, he got them uh, Britain's, uh, not Britain, France's support. He helped them get the guns and ships from Britain, uh, from um, France, my bad. And, um, he proved massively important. But before that, uh, the song depicts him as a French hero before that. But he really was a nobody. He was a 19-year-old experienceless general prior to the American Revolution. Which is the uh, where I found the little historical discrepancy in this oh. case. Uh, that's all I got for this song. I think it's time to jump over to our conclusion, which is actually the finale of the musical. Who lives, who dies, who tells oh, your yeah. story. So, this is the... Oh. So this is the very final song in the musical. So this song essentially goes through the different people who were close to Hamilton throughout his life, and then they sing about commemorating his loss. Alexander Hamilton died on July 12th, 1804, after he was shot by Aaron Burr in a duel. So Alexander Hamilton was married to Elizabeth Schuyler, and together they had eight children. Like, that's a lot of children. So in this song, Eliza says, stop, I stop wasting time on tears. I live another 50 years. This line is portraying how after Alexander's death, she lived until 1854 and worked to spark social change across the United States. The new United States that was just formed with Alexander's work. So she reorganized Alexander's writings, and she was very active in helping out orphan children and even eventually spoke out against slavery with her sister. Um, yeah, she was a very important woman, in my opinion, in, very, in early American history. She talked about the orphanage as one of her biggest legacies. Uh, where I find a few historical discrep discrepancies in this song, or 
both the things with that pertain to Hamilton. Uh, first, the song picks Hamilton as a very religious person, and that's kind of not fully correct. He was definitely religious when he was younger. He grew up in a Christian household, and he found religion um, through the hurricane in Nevis, where he was born, uh, and he believed in religion, which is what got him to where he was. However, he lost religion at a lot of points in his life. There was a lot of times where religion slipped out of his life, where he didn't really practice religion, where he even where he just didn't show support for it. He was not a religious man, as the song depicts him as, saying his faith saved Eliza and gave her more time. That's just not true. He was a unionist above everything else. He wasn't uh, beat up over the word God being excluded from the Constitution. In fact, according to Digital History, when he was asked about um, why the Founding Fathers didn't put the word God in, he simply said, we forgot. So that really just highlights how he's a unionist first. Religion was never his first priority. The second thing has to do with Hamilton's views towards slavery. Uh, One of the lines of the songs is, uh, he spoke out against slavery. You could have done so much more if you only had time. Uh, If your time is up, will I have done enough? Will I I tell your story? So um, if he had lived much longer, although there's no way to actually tell, the odds are he would have done nothing much against slavery discussing slavery with George Washington at at all costs. He accepted slavery in the Constitution to preserve the Union, and unquestionably, he was a Unionist more than an uh, an abolitionist in about every sense. He, just these two facts, the religious aspects and the uh, aspects of him being a huge abolitionist, anti-slavery person, don't really carry through from what actually happened in history to what happened in uh, the musical because he did, he, these were both true to some extent. He did practice religion when he was younger and he was very much anti-slavery. Just the way that they're presented are drastically exaggerated in the musical as opposed to how they're not so true in history. And that's all I've got for this last song's historical discrepancies. Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. With awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic musical and for someone who is a musical oh, yeah. theater major and musical composition major and didn't really study history it didn't study history as a major in college uh lynn manuel did a fantastic job portraying a fairly accurate play about such a major historical figure oh yeah it's beautifully written all of the songs and all of the plot it's really a work it really art. is and there's a reason why it's basically number one on Broadway at the moment. Why it has been for the past couple of oh, years. Yeah. My tickets are so expensive. Yeah, right? Um, well, it's been a great time talking with you about Hamilton. I have really enjoyed it. Yeah. Hopefully we could do it. Yeah, it would be fun. Thank you to everyone who was listening. Woohoo. Have a nice day, yeah, Mr. Barkin. <laughs>